Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. As our guys begin to, to wrap up taking up the offering, and uh, uh, let's praise the Lord for these guys who do this every week. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise just for their dedication to help serve in the service by taking up the offering every week. And, and guys, before you cut out of here, we're going to need some ushers at the doors when we leave because a couple of weeks ago, we, in, we intended to take up a deacon benevolent offering in this service, and, and we've just been forget, forgetting about it for like two weeks now. So this is a special offering we do when we take uh, communion together. And uh, this deacon benevolent offering is administrated by our, our deacons, our ministers of service in our church. And, and we use that to help folks in our body who have needs. And so uh, at the end of the service today, when you leave, uh, Brady, if you'll make sure to grab a couple of guys and and uh, be at the doors. We'll take up that uh, in, in this service today. And we'll continue to bless folks in our body uh, through, that, through that fund as they have need in their lives. Well, today we're going to continue in a message series that we started last week. Uh, that's entitled, All Things to All People. And last week we looked at what it meant to, to have a true missionary heart. We're not talking about a heart to go to a foreign land, uh, to up and move, relocate, but, but really a heart that, that, that bleeds for people around us right where we are. And we said last week that, that uh, a healthy church is a church that has a family spirit about it. Uh, it takes, they take care of themselves. They look out for one another. Uh, they're there for each other. Uh, and that's great. When you're apart, when you belong, but when you feel like you're an outsider and you're on the fringe and you're looking in and you're wondering, hey, is this a place for me? Will I ever fit in here? Do these people love me, care about me? That can be very intimidating. So, so we said last week that, that God didn't call us to be a family. He called us to be a church. And a church has family characteristics. It has a family spirit but it's missionary spirit to have open arms, to always be looking for people to love, to embrace, uh, to love to Christ. That, that's the heart that God calls us to have. And Paul, in his life, he truly became all things to all people that by all means, God might use him to save some. Well, today we're going to take the next step. And, and, and the message today is simply entitled, Free to Love. Free to Love. And, and this message should really, it should come with a disclaimer. Uh, handle with care. Uh, the disclaimer should, should be, uh, get ready folks. This could be really, really sticky. The disclaimer could also be there is a God and I'm not Him. There is a Holy Spirit and nobody can be the Holy Spirit 
in your life other than the Holy Spirit. So there's some stickiness and some sticky stuff to this message today, but it's exciting and with the Lord's help, uh, we will be bringing truth from God's heart today. So read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, beloved edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and no, notice they're, they're lowercase, the lowercase gods, the lowercase lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We're neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Father, thank you for your love and your grace for us. And Father, we thank you so much for how you have provided and how you have sustained. And Father, we're going to trust that you'll continue to do that uh, with all the needs that are in front of us, Father, and all the challenges that uh, are going to happen this week that we're not even dealing with yet. So Lord, we're going to trust you. We thank you in advance for you're a good God and you're faithful. And Father, we thank you for the tremendous, tremendous freedom and liberty that we have in Christ. And Father, help us today to, to know how to live out that liberty and how to live out that freedom in the great expression of love. Uh, Lord, so we ask that your spirit would be our teacher and uh, would guide us today in our time and that we would hear from heaven, we'd hear from your heart, and through the written word, we would encounter the living word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, this is a really exciting passage of scripture to me. It kind of speaks a lot about my life and my background, and it kind of has some undertones that speak to, to how I, I grew up. Uh, in church and in church life. And I have to be honest and say that, you know, for many years of my, my younger 
a Christian life, I was often riddled uh, with, with, with feelings of guilt and uh, feelings of condemnation that I didn't measure up, uh, that I wasn't doing the things that I should be doing. Uh, I was riddled with feelings that I was failing the Lord, I was failing the church, and, and I had all of these, what I call, religious expectations around my life. In my life, in my walk with Christ, during the early years of, of, of my Christian experience, was filled and was defined by oughts and shoulds. Oughts and shoulds. Oughts and shoulds. I ought to be doing this. I ought not to be doing that. I should be doing this. I should not be doing that. And so I was like, never feeling like I, I did enough. And so on the heels of that, what would happen is when I felt like I was failing the church, I was failing the Lord, I wasn't behaving or acting like I should act or behave, what came behind that was this intense feeling of, of guilt and condemnation. And then, man, the enemy has a heyday with that. I mean, he will speak into your heart, into your mind, you're not good enough. If you were really a Christian, you'd be this way or that way. You're not doing this, you're not doing that. And he just comes behind that. And he can just compound that sense of guilt and condemnation upon your life. And he really has a heyday with, with those types of what I call religious expectations and the relig religious uh, baggage. That we can often carry in our lives. So what began to happen is I, as I began to grow in the Lord. And, and some men took me to the side. Began to meet with me. And I began to learn about my identity in Christ. And then I began to experience a tremendous freedom. And liberty in Christ. Like I had never experienced it before. It was like this breath of fresh air was breathed into my life. In fact, I began to enjoy God, which was a foreign concept to me in my legalistic upbringing. I began to enjoy God. And I never saw God as a friend, as someone that I could really enjoy doing life with. He went from being my safety net to being the trampoline upon which I lived my entire life. And I began to experience His love, experience His grace through this tremendous, tremendous Christian freedom and Christian liberty. It was literally like the shackles and the chains and the heavy garments fell off my life. It was tremendous. Then over the course of time, God began to even grow me further and begin to teach me how to live out that liberty among brothers and sisters in Christ. Today in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is dealing with a lot of those issues that are somewhat intertwined in an issue of his day that might seem foreign or strange to us. It had to do with eating meat 
that have been sacrificed to idols. Now for us, when it comes to like dietary laws or dietary restrictions, uh, for us, that seems very foreign when it comes to our walk or our relationship with God. But for a Jew in the first century, coming out of Judaism, uh, they, they observed uh, strict dietary laws. Uh, they, there were certain foods that were unclean that they dare not eat lest it defile them. And then they become unclean. And then they have to make sacrifices for that. And so they lived in a religious world that was defined by rules, regulations, and dietary restrictions. So for them coming out of that, even finding faith and freedom in Christ, coming out of all of that was very hard and very difficult for them. As you find in the, the Greco-Roman world, pagan worship and worship of idols was a very common thing. And so what people would do is they would make sacrifices to these false gods. And they would take a perfectly good cow or a goat or a chicken and they would sacrifice them. And then you would have this perfectly good meat that had been sacrificed in the worship of a false god or an idol. And there was a market for this meat. And so after the sacrifice was made, they would sell that to buyers in the marketplace. And those in the marketplace would take that meat and put it up for sale and for consumption. It'd be like us going to Walmart or going to Kroger and we go by the meat section and you look over there and you find this, man, this perfectly marbled ribeye or this T-bone steak and you go, whoa, that looks awesome. But then the person with you, they say, but wait a minute, look on that label at the very bottom, sacrifice to an idol. And then you'd step back and go, oh, now wait a minute. I can't eat that ribeye. I can't eat that steak. Because it had been used in the sacrifice to an idol. And for those folks coming out of that strict uh, dietary uh, legalistic environment to them, it'd almost be like, Second-hand idolatry. To eat that meat would almost be the same for them as worshiping the false god and the false idols. So they were like, no way. You cannot eat that meat. For the Gentile who comes out of that, they're going, you got to be kidding me. It's, it's, it's just meat. It's, 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 it's a good steak. There's nothing wrong with eating this meat. But over time, this conflict over this issue came up in the life of the church. In fact, it was so great that one of the first councils ever formed, the Jerusalem Council, you find in Acts chapter 15, it was such an issue that when it came to how we take the gospel into the Gentile world, they concluded that the Jerusalem Council, 
It's a good idea. It's a good idea to abstain from foods or meats offered to idols. And the point was this. It had nothing to do with whether you were free to eat it or not. The issue was we need to preserve unity and we need to preserve peace in the church, the body of Christ. So we see in this that liberty in Christ is a tremendous blessing. But then watch this. But then there is something that trumps that. And it's the expression of liberty. And what trumps that is love. It's love. Love for other people. Trumps how I express my freedom in Christ. But then notice this as well. And you're going to see this by the end of the text. But then what happens is, once love is exercised, then Christian liberty and freedom is then raised and elevated to a whole nother place. This is exciting stuff. And I'm very uh, excited and anxious to see how the Holy Spirit is going to apply this in your lives today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, and there's a lot of things that are explained in the text. Paul writes, he says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, again, big deal. Can you eat meat or not eat meat? There will be other modern issues that the contemporary church would deal with. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Is it right to do this? Is it wrong to do that? For some people, it might fall in the lines of this. Is it okay to drink alcohol in moderation? Or does God prefer, prefer you don't drink at all? Is it okay to have a glass of wine with a meal? Or is it God's heart that you be a teetotaler? Uh, what about, uh, here's one that came up recently. Is it a sin or not if a Christian smokes marijuana? What about vaping? What about smoking cigarettes? Here's one for you that's really interesting. Uh, this past week, uh, we went dove hunting. And, and to me, and don't hate me if you love doves. I love doves, okay? All right? But a dove breast cooked the right way, to me, is like a... a Miniature filet mignon. When it's marinated just right and you wrap it in bacon, uh, it's, it's wonderful. But many people years ago would not eat doves or would not go dove hunting because many of our old timers, maybe some of you even today, they felt like it was the Lord's bird. The dove was the Lord's bird and so they would not eat a dove. Because it was the Lord's bird, a bird of peace. Here's another one for you. Some old timers, and maybe even some of us today, and you're a young timer. Some people used to feel like it was wrong to eat at church. Because there's a scripture that speaks of not being a glutton at church, but eating in your home. And so many people grew up thinking and feeling like, you're not supposed to eat at church. In fact... Churches would build fellowship halls 
separate from the church building so that they could not or would not be guilty of eating in the church, which in their mind the church was the church building. So the fellowship hall where we eat had to be separate from the church building so we would not break the command or the religious law not to eat in church. I remember preaching a message on this years ago. And there was a lady who used to sit on the front row. And at the end of that message, she came up to me. And she said, Brother Allen, all my life I thought it was wrong to eat at church. She said, today I realized it's okay. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I still don't think she ever went to a church fellowship, though. I'm just not for sure. But she had that revelation in her life. So, so you can see... There's lots of issues that come up when it comes to Christian liberty. For them, the issue was, what are we going to do with this meat or things sacrificed to idols? So let's go into the text. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. This is not Paul's endorsement for ignorance. You shouldn't walk away from this and say, well, since knowledge uh, makes arrogant, then I don't want any knowledge at all. Knowledge is really important. In fact, knowledge of the truth leads to freedom in Christ. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? You shall know the truth and the truth will do what? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But if you don't ever know the truth, you will not experience freedom in Christ. So knowledge is not the problem here. The problem here is where there's knowledge, but there's no love. It's knowledge and knowledge of truth, but there's no love for other people. Specifically, it's knowledge and knowledge of truth when there's no love or respect for those who have yet to come to have that knowledge and to know that truth. Knowledge without love. That just builds up. Makes you proud. Makes you arrogant. In fact, you can then begin to become judgmental, opinionated, and look upon other people uh, down your religious nose and scrutinize them. And judge them improperly. He says knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. And if anyone supposes that he knows anything. He has not yet known as he ought to know. I think this is Paul's way of saying stay humble. Stay hungry and humble. When it comes to knowing the truth. Stay hungry. Stay humble. And even when you learn and you grow. And you come to realize the truth. Always know that there's more to know. Always be in a state of learning and growing. Never get to a place where you cannot be taught. If you have an unteachable spirit, you're like a stone wall. Keep your heart humble and open. And always, even theologically, reserve the right to be wrong. And still stand on your convictions and what you feel like is truth. But stay humble. He says, if anyone loves God, verse 3, he's known by God or known by him. And this is where love, love meets knowledge and it's in 
the Lord. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know, and we'll stop right here. We're going to learn a very important principle today. And that is that when it comes to your Christian freedom and liberty, you need great wisdom to know when and how to exercise that. In fact, you should always defer, are y'all with me? Always defer to the weaker brother or sister in Christ. When they don't know, maybe some truths that God has shown you. But even though you always defer, it doesn't mean there is not a time or there's never the opportunity to expound the truth. How else are they going to grow? How else are you going to grow? The truth needs to be expressed. It needs to be shared. So here's what Paul does. He says, we know. We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. And that there is no God but one. So all those people out there taking the cows, taking the goats, taking the chickens, and sacrificing them to these idols, these idols are a figment of their imagination. They really don't exist. There's only one God, one true God. They truly are worshiping and they're sacrificing in vain. And for even, verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, excuse me, so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and these are lowercase gods and lowercase lords, which means that people will make things their gods. And people will make things their lords. Have you ever made something other than the God, a God, or a Lord of your life? He says, even, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, still, there is but one God. The Father from whom are all things and we exist for him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we exist through him. And this is Paul's way of saying that in the secular sacred discussion. There is nothing that is inherently secular. Throughout your life, or maybe throughout, I mean, throughout my life, we were taught, we heard, well, this here, this thing, this is sacred. This type of music, this type of worship, this expression, how even music is used in worship, can you use this type of instrument, that type of instrument. Oh, wait a minute. This type of instrument is sacred, but that instrument is secular. Or no instruments at all. 
because all of the instruments are secular, or whatever the reason is. Or what about this here? Oh, wait, this is sacred, but that is secular. Paul says, trace it back. Trace back everything, including you sitting in your chair right now. All things made by Him, all things are for Him, and through Him all things exist. There is nothing inherently secular. Everything that you see has its root and its beginning from the one true God. This does not mean that there are things made by God that have been used to dishonor Him, not to glorify Him, and used in harmful or destructive ways. Yet that happens. But aren't you glad, aren't you glad, aren't you glad that God is in the redeeming business? And He loves to take things, even people that might be used or demonstrated in a way that doesn't honor, honor Him, and He redeems them, and He turns them over, and He restores them to their original purpose to be used as, as that which reflects and honors and worships Him. Have you ever been listening to what we would call a secular song? And it might be a love song. And you have one voice in your ear, a religious voice that says, you don't need to be listening to that secular music. But then in the other ear, there is a line expressed in that song and it speaks of love in such a way that it reminds you of the love of God that is in Christ. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. When you sing that same verse, and you're thinking about the Lord, wow, there is such depth. In fact, some of the best, in my opinion, my opinion, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is thus saith the one who reserves the right to be wrong. In my opinion, some of the best Christian songwriters are those who are not so overt with their message. But they write in such a way it makes you think. And it leads you to the heart of God. And it's not just so much in your face. With cliche and meaningless words that are just used over and over in the church that we have become immune to. And we lose the sense of their real significance. That's thus saith the one who reserves the right to be wrong. That part of this message uh, may or may not be anointed. I'm just saying, okay. But inherently, based on the text, there is nothing that is inherently secular. Everything comes from God. So here's Paul's way of saying, okay, so we're in the meat market. We're walking down the aisle, and there's the ribeye. And you say to me, wow, look at that ribeye. And I say, but look on the bottom line. It says, sacrifice to a cow last Thursday. still fresh. But then the reply comes back. He says, oh, wait a minute. We can't eat that. And I say, but time out. And you say to me, time out, Brother Allen. It's just a cow. And who made that cow? God made the cow. And then you say to me, because you really want to buy the steak, and guess what? God makes good cows. 
And God makes good ribeyes. And God makes good T-bone steaks. And you say, don't forget, God made the cow. It's Paul's point. God makes the cow. Nothing that exists shows up on this planet apart from God. If you don't know that, you don't know how powerful and good our God is. Verse 7. However, so up to this point, Paul has been teaching liberty. Verse 7, the pendulum swings. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So it would be like the guy that says, you know what, so about months ago, he was eating ribeye after he had sacrificed that cow to a false god. And so for him, eating the ribeye is associated with worshiping a false god. He comes to faith in Christ. And he's like, i got to walk away from that. That's part of my old life. That's part of my pagan life. I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. Because it was so associated with that false god, it led me away from God. So I'm done with it. Not doing it anymore. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, let's eat this. And you're, no way. Not doing it. And if I do, if I do eat it, then my conscience is going to be defiled because it's weak. Notice this in the text. Paul identifies the individual as not having the knowledge of the truth. He identifies this individual as being a weak or weaker brother or sister in Christ. But here's what he knows. For them to do that is going to bring all kinds of condemnation into their life. The devil will have a heyday with them, make them feel guilty, make them feel condemned. And they just cannot do this. They've yet to arrive at the point where they are free from those old thoughts and old feelings and old convictions about that thing. Verse 8. I love verse 8. Verse 8 ought to make you stand up and shout to the heavens. Paul introduces some truth again. And he says this. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat. Nor the better if we do eat. So somebody would ask the question. What is it that commends us to God? To be committed to God means to be made in right standing with God. It means to be close to God. It means to be right where God is. What puts you in right standing? What makes you close? What connects you to God? What commends you to God? And there's only one thing. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace, you are saved through faith. And there is nothing else in this world that you can do or fail not to do. 
that puts you in a right place in right standing with God. It's faith alone. His grace working in your life through your faith is what commends you to God. So when it comes to eating or not eating, none of that commends us to the Lord. We're neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So the believer walks away from this and the believer says, I don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody else. I do not want my liberty or my freedom in Christ to be a stumbling block to another brother or sister in Christ. But I want you to notice something about stumbling blocks. What stumbling blocks are and what stumbling blocks are not. Stumbling blocks are not those things that you can do or not do that offends somebody else. A stumbling block is not something you do that offends another believer or a religious person. Because Jesus spent his life offending religious people. He went to the bars. He hung out with prostitutes. He was called a wine-bibber and a, King James, and a drunkard. He went to the shadow places. And he hung out with shadow people. In fact, not too long ago, I had a conversation with another brother in Christ. And it had to do with another brother who, man, knows who he is in Jesus. But yet God's opened doors to him in venues and avenues where I'm telling you, in dark places where I would, there's nobody else I would rather be in those places doing what he does. Because there's a light in him. And Christ would go into dark places and meet people where they were. And he offended, he offended he offended religious people. A stumbling block is not something that offends someone else. In fact, some people just need to be offended. And being offended, they need to learn how to get over themselves. Because they don't have a cornerstone on the Lord Jesus Christ. But a stumbling block, a stumbling block is different. A stumbling block is when you exercise your freedom in such a way that it emboldens a weaker brother or sister in Christ who hasn't arrived at the truth to fall into that. And for them, they, in their heart and their mind, then they've committed the sin. A stumbling block is not something that offends. A stumbling block is something 
that actually causes a weaker or brother or sister Christ to actually fall. You may be exercising your freedom. You're in that place. You're eating the meat. You're having a good ribeye. Brother or sister in Christ comes along and they're like, man, I don't know, but boy, there's, there's so-and-so. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and, and they eat. But they, the truth of their, the truth isn't revelation in their life yet. To them, they followed your lead. And to them, they've just committed this. So later that night, they crash. They crumble. And the enemy eats their lunch. Guess who has a responsibility in that? Not just them for the decision that they made, but you for the example that you set in front of them. Verse 10 again, the stumbling block is when the weak is strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by, here we go, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. The sin here is not whether it's okay to eat the meat or not. The sin here is exercising your freedom in such a way that it causes a weaker brother or sister in Christ to fall. That's the sin. And Paul says, at that point, it's not just a sin that you've committed against the brother or sister, but you've sinned against Christ at that point. Because your love for your brother or sister in Christ should trump your individual expression of freedom every time. Your love. Your love for your brother and sister in Christ should trump your expression of freedom every single time. So I know, I know, I know my brother or my sister in Christ is struggling with something. It'd be like me when I was a kid and I used to dip Kodiak when I was a kid. And Grizzly and my older cousins made fun of me because it wasn't Copenhagen and they called it sissy or candy snuff. And long before we knew about the dangers of dipping, and some of y'all still know about the dangers of dipping, but whatever, but whatever. It'd be like me, and, and I don't have an addiction. I don't have a case of Kodiak hidden in the back of my truck today. I've got a case of something else, but it's not Kodiak. I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. Y'all, please take a chill pill, okay? And don't you dare go looking through my truck. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. If we can't laugh at ourselves, who can we laugh at, right? But it'd be like my brother here. For 20 years, he's been trying to kick the habit. The Lord's convicted his heart that he needs to be around for his wife and his kids. And he's got some propensities or some things going on health-wise that, that he knows that if he just keeps doing it, the Lord's convicted him. He's got to stop. So for him to continue to do that would be him going against the Lord's directive and the Spirit's directive in his life. And then me knowing that. 
And one day we're riding down the road and he's over there. And I reach back behind my seat and I pull out my case of Kodiak. And I'm sitting there going, I'm free. I don't have an addiction. It's not going to hurt me. I can still smell the cigar in my grandpa's workshop. The good cigar. Smells so good. Hey, I don't have a problem with this. And I do it in front of him. And I'm going, I'm free. But he's trying to be an overcomer. And I've just encouraged him to give his life back over to something that's been in control of his life. Paul would say that's sin. But I don't want you walking out here today asking yourself, okay, so Brother Allen, is this sin or is that sin? Is this sin or that? I'm going to ask, ask yourself three questions, okay? Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you do, just be mindful of three questions. Number one, is this beneficial? Is this beneficial? Will it build up the people around me? Number two, is it beneficial? Will it build up and help my walk and my dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ? And then number three, this is worth sticking. But this is why God called us to a relationship with Jesus as opposed to a relationship with rules and regulations. It's moving. It's like a relationship. You ask yourself this question, is this wise? Is it wise for the moment? And there will be times where the Holy Spirit says, you know what, right now, right now, considering the company that's around you, it is not wise. And there might be another situation around a different audience in a different context and circumstance where God says, you're free. I want to share this with you real quick because I think this is important. It's found in 1 Timothy. I didn't give this earlier. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says, watch this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God desires for us to enjoy life. To enjoy things. And it's not a sin to have joy and to enjoy things in this life. But for Paul, the next part he says this. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So Paul says, I'm free. I can eat meat. No problem. My brother is not there yet. However, my love is going to trump my freedom. However, watch this. This is so awesome. 
he concludes, I can go out, I can go without meat. No big deal. Don't have to have it. So then, to honor his love that honors his liberty, his liberty is elevated to a whole other place where he says, guess what? I'm free not to eat meat. Free to eat it? Yep. Free not to eat it? Absolutely. But I don't believe that Paul would stop teaching the truth. So my sister here, all of her life, she never thought she could enjoy a good ribeye, okay? So all of her life, she just believed that it was wrong to eat ribeye, all this stuff. And then one day, my sister right here, she comes to experience freedom in Christ. Hold on this sister who's looking at me. So she begins to experience freedom in Christ. And she's like, wow. She's been taught the word. And she's like, wow. I can eat a ribeye? And I'd be like, yeah. I've been abstaining all of these years till you could come to this knowledge. And then she says to me, man, I'd like to try, try a ribeye. I'm going to be the first one that says, let's go, darling. Let's go get us a good ribeye right now. We are going to enjoy this T-bone steak. We're going to appreciate it as coming from, the God, from God, the maker of all things. And we're going to enjoy things in this life. We will not be like the fuddy-duddy religious people who do not know how to live life. But we'll be the people who know how to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in wisdom and discernment. That's where this message is sticky. Because you didn't give your life to a rule. You gave your life to a person named Jesus. Okay, so let's stand together today. And we're going to trust the Lord to take this message. And Father God, as we yield to you this morning, Lord. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.